There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Cassandra Holloway, and you're listening to the Health Essentials Podcast brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. Today, we're broadcasting virtually as we are respecting the social distancing initiative that our community and our hospital has set for us. We're joined virtually by Reverend Amy Green. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, Reverend Green. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Reverend Green is the director for the Center for Spiritual Care at Cleveland Clinic, and today we're going to be talking about coronavirus and grief because we know right now it's a tough time. A lot of people are scared. A lot of people are struggling with their emotions, and a lot of people are looking for words of encouragement and for answers right now. But before we dive into that, we want to remind listeners that this is for informational purposes only and should not replace your own doctor's advice. So Reverend Green, times are really tough right now. I first want to start off by asking you, how are you feeling? How are you doing? How are you managing all of this crazy right now? Well, thank you for asking. Um, I'm actually doing okay. I have a great, great team uh, on the spiritual care team with chaplains and holistic nurses and uh, family liaisons who help folks with paperwork at the end of life. And we're just a really good, solid team that take very good care of each other. I'm also so impressed by all the colleagues and all the different people in the clinic from every possible department, uh, places I've never even heard of until now, who are pitching in 100% to do everything they can. And actually, that's so encouraging and inspiring that it's, um, keeping, it's keeping me going. So we're busier than ever, but it's such important work that it really is, um, it's really enjoyable in a way. I mean, obviously the virus isn't enjoyable, but the work of being in such a good, such good company is, is really satisfying. Absolutely. And, and, and encouraging to see so yeah. many people helping right now. Right. So there's a lot of people waking up each morning, kind of um, going through a wide range of emotions. I know personally, as well as from those close to me, that people are feeling anger, panic, sadness, so many different emotions. Are feelings like this normal right now? Absolutely. In fact, I would say, if anything, um, it would be sort of abnormal not to be feeling all those things. Um, even all at once. I think it's a turbulent time and we're human and we're supposed to have feelings. Feelings are good. They give us lots of information. I think the important thing to know about feelings is they don't tell us everything. So while they're one important source of information, they shouldn't be the only source of information. So feeling grief, feeling fear, feeling anger, feeling frustration, those are all things that I think pretty much everybody who's paying attention is going through those. I like how you said our feelings don't tell us the whole story. They kind of just cue us into kind of different things that are happening. I think it's interesting. I, I read an article the other day that said um, feeling really angry right now could be your way of, of grief kind of poking through and, and manifesting that way. Absolutely. I think I talk about this a lot in our in our chaplaincy training circles. I'm an educator as well. And I talk about how a lot of us have can mask our anger. Our fear can look more like anger. Certain personality types look more angry when they're afraid. Others look more sad when they're afraid. I mean, you can't really tell by looking, which is why it's really important uh, to not assume we know what other people are feeling. Uh, 
even if they're showing no emotion at all, we don't know what they're feeling. And so um, it's something we'll talk a little bit more about here, but it's basically talk about your feelings in, in trusted and uh, I would say safe places that are um, you know, appropriate, safe and appropriate outlets for your tears um, and your anger and your fears, all of it. There's good safe places to take all of that, just like there's good safe places for us to be physically. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I want to ask you about grief specifically then. You know, we hear so much about the five stages of grief, you know, mm -hmm. their uh, denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance. Do you think that what a lot of people are feeling right now are or could be those five stages of grief? Oh, absolutely. And there's probably several more in there somewhere. I think dread probably belongs in there as well. Um, and dread is a really powerful feeling. I think that when um, Kubler-Ross established those, those stages, it was very helpful at the time, but even she came around to saying, look folks, these aren't gonna go in order and they're not gonna be predictable and they're gonna come back around and around. They're not gonna come and go and you get to check them off a list. Um, so I think it's important to realize that feelings are just gonna continue to bubble up and stir up. And they, the thing about grief, uh, maybe more than all the other feelings, is it's very sticky. And so whatever other sadnesses we have in our lives tend to get stuck to the new grief. And it'll dredge up old griefs that maybe haven't been completely, well, I don't know that they're ever completely healed or processed, but haven't maybe been properly attended to, like a wound that wasn't bandaged well. And so I think sometimes grief can feel overwhelming because it's triggering other griefs and other losses. And so it's all the more important that we have outlets for talking about those feelings. And there are loads of good ones here at the clinic and we can get to that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting, you mentioned the feelings of dread right now. And I think a lot of people are feeling this, you know, the feeling of anticipating grief. We can't see coronavirus, but we know it's out there. You know, we're, we're anticipating who will we lose? How will things change from it? Um, how can we deal with, with that dread, with the feelings of anticipating what's going to happen? Well, I think that's a great question. I think it's one we're all really grappling with. How much preparedness is good and healthy and how much can sort of start to border into paranoia and paralyze us from doing anything. I was thinking earlier about the, you know, people who sort of walk on the high wire and uh, I don't know why they do that. I'm not going to do that. But it reminds me a little bit of that, that they can't be, uh, they can't just ignore the fact that there's a huge um, risk that they might fall. So that sort of tension and awareness is important for keeping them alert and keeping them safe and, and balanced. But if they focus entirely on that, they'll fall. At, to their own injury at least and probably death. So I think our own kind of um, approach to this is to have just enough awareness of, of the safety precautions, you know, to take very seriously the distance between each other, um, to take very seriously staying at home if we absolutely don't have to be out, um, obeying all the things that we're being told by the, by the medical community and the scientific community that we really do trust right now and we turn to them Sure, absolutely. I really like that analogy of the tightrope walker, you know, being aware of your surroundings, but it's kind of like healthcare is that safety net for us, kind of being aware that there are protocols and guidelines for us to follow, yeah. uh, directions for us to follow, but being aware that there is a risk out there, I think is a really good point. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the, I mean, in some ways, ironically, it's the definition of mindfulness because mindfulness means that you're aware of what's going on very keenly. Mindfulness isn't about 
zoning out and relaxing. It's actually about zoning in and paying better attention, but also being relaxed. So it's this interesting balance of uh, awareness and calmness. And I think a lot of our people are trained in that way. You know, our first responders or physicians, they're trained to be both alert, uh, high alert and calm at the same time. And I think that's a good example for all of us. Absolutely. Um, I think it's interesting. I was reading a, another article the other day about comparing coronavirus to 9-11. Mm-hmm. You know, people think about before 9-11 and then there's after 9-11, kind of, um, you know, the overarching fear, the loss of normalcy. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. The article also mentioned um, people are grieving on a micro and a macro level for the first time in a, in a long time together. Is there some comfort in knowing that everyone around us is also going through this tough time and, and also going through this grief? I think so, absolutely. Uh, I think um, it makes me think of two things. One is that, um, you know, suffering is universal. There's a great story from the Buddhist tradition that a young woman's baby dies and she brings her to the Buddha and asks why her baby died. And the Buddha says, I'll tell you why, but first I want you to go into the village and bring me a handful of mustard seed from the household that has had no suffering. Interesting. Okay. How she doesn't manage to get the handful of mustard seed. Right, right. And so I think once we're reminded that on a grand scale, we're all human, we will all suffer, we will all face death at some point. And so to be together in it, I think the wonderful difference between this and 9-11 is that our enemy, quote unquote, is a tiny, tiny virus we can't even see without an enormous amount of help. And we don't know where it is all the time. We can't see it coming. We know it is coming. We can't see it. It's already here. So I think the wonderful thing about this is we hopefully, my prayer for all of this is that this teaches us not to blame someone else for our suffering. And we, this virus does not have any respect for race, class, gender, a sexual orientation, political affiliation. It doesn't care. (laughs) It doesn't care at all about any of us. And so, you know, we're in this together as a human family and, and, you know, as a, as part of the natural world, we're, we're deeply interconnected. And, you know, even Albert Einstein said this so beautifully, he said, we're all deeply connected. We're all really kind of one big organism, but we have this optical delusion. And I just love that phrase, Hmm. optical delusion that, that we're separate from one another. And I just think this is a perfect time to bring back some of his wisdom, because he was both, you know, obviously a brilliant scientist and a man of deep faith. I don't, I don't know how particularly religious he was, but he was deeply spiritual and deeply faithful that the universe ultimately was good. And um, so I, I like his image of optical delusion because we are really connected. I don't think we're six degrees of separation anymore. I think we're one degree of separation. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I think that. this gives us the chance to really you know, pay attention to that and honor that and even celebrate it in some ways that maybe we haven't before. Absolutely. Great, great advice there. So as a reverend at Cleveland Clinic, what advice can you share for people who are looking to connect with their faith during this time, but because of social distancing and being in quarantine, they can't gather, they can't go to their place of worship. Mm -hmm. What advice would you have for people who are seeking out a faith-based community? Well, you know, I just think it's a great opportunity. Um, there's a lot of time now for us to to meditate, to learn to meditate if we haven't, um, to pray if we haven't prayed in a while, 
uh, to learn to pray if we never have. Um, there are ways in which the communities of faith are still reaching out and doing things virtually to help people stay connected. And I think that's wonderful. But I also think it's kind of a neat time to figure out what, um, what your sources of comfort and belief really are, you know, to drill down on our deepest, deepest values and get clear about them and really make some new habits. So I think these are just chances. I think the natural world gives us opportunities to slow down. We don't usually take them. <laughs> like the day and the night were designed to get us to rest and we've sort of stumped to that one a long time ago. So we figured out ways to stay so busy that we don't, we don't give ourselves time to pause and realize um, the preciousness of life, the amazing, the amazing quality of our breath. I think it's very, it's very moving to me right now that this is about, this virus is attacking people's ability to breathe. And you think about how many times a day do people say, just breathe, don't forget to breathe. And I, and I think, wow, that's really an interesting thing to be going on right now, that we're having to think deeply about how to breathe, literally help other people breathe. Some, some folks on the front lines are breathing for them with machinery and other aids. And so, you know, can we as a human race uh, slow down a little bit and, and understand what's really important, the preciousness of life, um, the preciousness of our own ability to breathe? Most of us don't even think about it. And I think we have a lot of opportunities. So I would say um, seize the moment and start, start um, finding those new sources of hope and courage for yourself. There's lots of help out there. Absolutely, for sure. And so you mentioned a little bit about, you know, techniques in being more mindful and remembering to slow down and, and breathe. So, you know, a couple of times throughout the day, and I know people around me experience this as well, we'll kind of forget what's going on for a couple of minutes, especially first in the morning when you first wake up, it kind of takes you a couple of seconds to remember the state of the world right now. Yeah. For those who are you know, when this feelings hit, they can be really intense and you kind of start panicking. Mm -hmm. Are there any techniques to help us uh, work through these, these intense feelings to make it a little bit less intense and to help us work through what we are feeling? Yes. I'm really glad you asked. I think the main thing is really not to try to push them away. I think, again, I think we stay really busy, especially in our culture. Well, probably in most modern cultures, we just stay extremely busy and part of that is, I think, a way of distracting ourselves from this fear of death, uh, which is really always part of being alive. It's really part of being human. I mean, our animal friends don't run around worrying about it. It's this great book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. They don't, they don't sit around worrying about dying. They either run from the tiger or they don't. And as human beings, we, we don't do that. We, we ruminate and we worry and we project into the future. And I think often we stay very busy to keep from doing that. So I would advise we don't try to run so fast all the time from those thoughts. And when they occur, just take a pause. Um, take something simple like a candle um, and, and have it with you all the time. And when you feel that panic coming on, pull out your little candle, lick it on, <laughs> electric of course, yeah. put it in your hand and just take some deep breaths and remember the good things in your life. Remember that you can breathe. Remember that, the, you know, just... Just tell yourself positive affirmations for just a minute or two. It, it doesn't take very long. And, um, and give yourself permission to just feel those feelings. If you will let them come, you can't prevent them. Feelings are formed pre-consciously. So we can't stop 
feeling what we're feeling. And we can't stop our thoughts. They're going to blurt out no matter what. If we, if we just allow it, it doesn't mean we have to be happy about it. It just means we try very hard not to like it or dislike it. We just say, okay, I'm feeling anger right now, or I'm feeling fear right now, or I'm feeling absolute dread right now. And let me just, let me just stay with it for a minute. And it will always pass. Most feelings last about 90 seconds. I mean, scientists have actually measured this and it's pretty amazing because people will say to me as a chaplain, I can't start crying over that. I'll never stop. And I'll say, yeah, you will. Let, let's time it. <laughs> like, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, crying. yeah. And let's just see. I can sit with you as long as it takes. And I can always guarantee that because I, I know I always have at least that long. People will stop crying. And it feels longer than it is because it's so intensely painful. But sometimes I think holding it back is, is hurting even more. So I would just say, try to let it come and try to let it go. You don't need to get all wrapped up in it and stoke the fires and make it worse, but you also don't need to um, be so afraid of it if you can help it. And again, there's loads of supports for how to learn to do that um, with other people, with other podcasts, with other meditation guides. There's lots of resources out there. Sure. I think you, you hit a really good point when you said that the feelings last for 90 seconds, you know, it's, it's temporary. And I think mm -hmm. it's important to remember that this situation is temporary, even though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. That's right. Right. Um, so you talked a little bit about this, uh, a little bit ago about, um, just kind of this using the situation to kind of slow down and not be so busy, but I'm curious, like what, what good do you think will come from this? What, what can we learn from this situation? That's a great question. I think that, you know, it's funny that I said not be so busy because in some ways I'm busier than I've ever been. <laughs> so it's, it has more to do with how busy we are on the inside and how chaotic we are on the inside. And so I think what this is giving us the chance to do is, again, sort through some things and get down to the, the essentials, get down to what we really value. So I'm busier than ever um, being available basically all the time to anyone who might need to talk to me or my team, but I don't feel exhausted by it because it feels so meaningful and so purposeful. Now put me in 42 meetings in a row and make me do PowerPoint slides. I'm exhausted within 15 minutes. I mean, everybody who knows me knows I hate PowerPoint. So, you know, it just, I think it helps us do the things we love and care about and, and get clear about what those things are so that when we're on the other side of this, we can make sure we build more of those things into our lives. And we say, look, these are the things I'm going to spend my time on. And these are the things I found I could do without. I didn't actually need to do a lot of the stuff I was doing and thought was so important. And I realize now it didn't give me much life and I don't really miss it. And I'm going to do less of it. Um, so I think there's loads of opportunities in it. It's hard to say that when people are suffering. I mean, you don't tell someone who's got an avalanche falling on their head, this isn't an opportunity. That's not appropriate. But I think for all of us in the midst of this, there are some times when we're just stuck and waiting. And it's, it's a, we might as well use that time productively to think through how do we want to spend our time once we have the freedom and the right to get busy as hamsters again. Absolutely. Kind of what's important to us, you know, what yeah. have we been taking for granted? What can we let go of? Like you said. Exactly. So we know that this is a worldwide issue. So 
as a, a reverend at Cleveland Clinic, is there a global saying or message that you think people across, you know, all different walks of life can find comfort in? You know, it's such a good question because every great religion teaches some version of the same thing, which is to treat other people um, as you would have them treat you. Or I think even some of them are more specifically treat them the way they want to be treated. The, and, and that should be, theoretically, that should be something close to the same thing, which is be respectful of others, be kind to others, respect their beliefs, respect their right to be different from you, respect their right to feel differently about things, to, to do things differently. Um, that's the golden rule. That's the second great commandment. Uh, it comes from the Hebrew scriptures, the Christian scriptures, the Buddhist scriptures. It comes from pretty much every great religion that I know of to say, you know, treat people with kindness and compassion and generosity and fairness because that's what you want for yourself and things will work out a lot better. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, the golden rule, you know, that we've all been taught or have heard at some point in mm -hmm. some fashion. Mm -hmm. That's great. So the last thing I want to talk to you about here, um, we've mentioned it a couple times, kind of finding that support and reaching out. So um, we've mentioned that it's normal to feel a wide range of emotions right now. That's normal. But if someone is really struggling, you know, if it's really crippling them, the panic, the sadness, the feelings of loss, um, where should they turn? Who should they reach out to? Not to sound self-serving, but the spiritual care department really is available 24 seven. We have what's called a grief and relief hotline. That number is answered 24 seven by a chaplain who's awake and on duty. And I would say that that's a great place to start because sometimes people don't want to burden their own family members. They don't want to call their best friends because they know their best friends are worried too. And they want to talk to someone whose job it is to listen. And honestly, whose training is such that it will not, it will not overburden us. Uh, and I can really assure people that it will not. We are trained for this the way a firefighter is trained to go into a burning building. We really are trained highly for this. So I think that, that that hotline is really useful and we mean for people to use it. We, we want people to call just to talk and maybe help normalize some of the feelings, um, help people not feel like they're burdening others, help people, they don't even have to tell us who they are if they don't want to. Um, they can use their na first names or we don't chart on them. We don't keep any record of it. It doesn't cost anything. And it's called the grief and relief hotline. It's on, the, it's on, all over the place on our um, Cleveland Clinic websites. And I think that's a great place to start. We also have the wonderful, you know, Caring for Caregivers program where people can do longer term counseling if they want it. And they also are available but for phone conversations to, you know, shorter conversations. And then we just have all kinds of supports out of the Caring uh, Office of Caregiver Experiences doing some amazing work. So I think there's loads of people out there that you can talk to that, um, you know, are a little more, you're not, you're not burdening your best friends and your family and your, and your aging parents or whatever. You're just, you can offload on us. That's what we're here for. And, and we, we want to do it. It's something we're good at. It's something we've all felt called to do and appreciate being able to do. Again, just like a firefighter really is proud that they can go in and help when uh, everybody else is sort of running from the building. Um, and that's kind of what chaplains do when there's an emotional fire or a spiritual fire, uh, we don't run away, we run toward. So 
please do use that resource. And, and then, as I said, lots of others on, online, especially the Clem Clinic's just amazing and some wonderful things are popping out all the time. So there's obviously more than just us. Yeah, absolutely. I think taking advantage of, of any of the counseling services online mm -hmm. or forums or um, virtual kind of visits or appointments yep. that, that therapists or um, mental health professionals are, yep. or even chaplains are offering, I think is, is really good advice. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Great. So that's all the time that we have today. Thank you, Reverend Green, for joining us today. You have been so helpful and I know myself included and, and the listeners will be impacted by your, your wisdom that you shared with us today. Thank you for the chance to share. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So to find additional grief support and resources and the hotline number that Reverend Green was talking about, visit clevelandclinic.org slash grief. If you want to listen to more Health Essentials podcasts featuring experts at Cleveland Clinic, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from or visit clevelandclinic.org slash HE podcast. And don't forget, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, all one word, to stay up to date on the latest news and information about coronavirus, as well as your own health and wellness. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe and remember to be kind and support one another. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.